Good to be with you guys tonight. It's going to be somewhat limited just because I have one, one arm. Um, can you guys all just close your eyes for a minute before we start and just feel like, uh, just to go back over the lyrics of that last song that we just sang, um, that the love of God, is, it's extravagant. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend the way you love us. Just think about those words, that his love is extravagant, which means it goes beyond, beyond what is normal. That in our human minds, the love of God and who he is, his will, his plans, his purposes, it doesn't make sense. So much so that it's something that so many times in life we can't even comprehend the love, the ways, and the will of God. We can't comprehend the way that he loves us. Tonight, Holy Spirit, we just say, have your way and fill us up with your love. God, I pray that you would give us perspective and eyes to see the way that you see, Father, the way that you see Jesus and the way that you see Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see our past and our present and our future in light of the cross and the future of what you have done for us and in light of your extravagant love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is going to be weird for me because I'm... Uh, are we taping this? We are taping. Okay. All right. I'm going to try to do my best with one arm. We'll see how I, how I do. Um, I don't usually hold the microphone with the left hand, so this feels really weird. Um, I, I hurt my tricep, tore my tricep sledding with my son. So it was an awesome time, and everything was going really well until he's like, Dad, please, one more time, will you race me? And it's always the one more time, right, that gets us in trouble. So I was winning, of course, as any good father would, and there's one section of this hill, like super small, that had a ramp, and if you hit this ramp, there was a hole, maybe 12 feet beyond the ramp, and I landed on the opposite end of the hole, so I caught all of my weight on my stomach, hit that wall of the, of the hill, and tore my tricep. So it's going to be a little different, but um, this, I, I had a whole sermon um, planned, and it was something that God had given me on Monday, so we were going back and forth about my title it was really talking about the power of community and that who, who are you flying with, the power of community, who are you doing life with. And um, this morning at probably about 10, 1040, uh, God's like, you're not, you're not doing that. You're not, you're not speaking. You're not speaking on that. Um, you know what? Can we do something real quick? Can I try to just talk with this stand? So maybe, yeah, while, while Tim's hooking a brother up, doing something, I'm not sure. <laughs> We're all watching you. You know what? Don't worry about it, Tim. I'm good. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. So this morning at uh, about 1042, God's like, you're not, you're not going to talk on what you planned on. I'm not. I'm not. He's like, oh, no, no. You're going to actually talk about the experience of what is happening right now, where you're sitting, and how this correlates to the lives of those who will be here tonight. And so a lot of times when God imparts something on your heart, you don't necessarily know who it's for. Um, and the whole thing of living in faith is it's living by faith. You know, if it was living according to Torrance, it'd be really easy, and it'd be less risky, and it, everything would be very predictable. But in life, things are very un unpredictable. And this morning, 
at this, this celebration service um, for a friend of, of ours. Um, we were celebrating the homecoming, homegoing of, of their little girl, of their daughter. They've got a, they've got a two-year-old, but they had a daughter that lived 35 days. And uh, she went home um, to be with the Lord about a week ago. And a lot of times babies pass and they go on, they go on to heaven. And, and a lot of times moms and dads are, they have the privilege of actually knowing beforehand. We're going to have a sick baby and so you're kind of prepared and you, you know what to deal with. You know what's going to happen. And, and this couple did it. Um, wife started having contractions. They thought they were Braxton Hicks, I think they're called. False contractions. Took her to the hospital. She was supposed to have a midwife have the baby at home. They're like, no, 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 this baby is, is coming now. And uh, they're a little bummed because they wanted to have the baby at home, right? And so baby's coming, and this is their second baby, so he knows the routine. You know, get bound by the feet. The doctor's going to let him catch the baby and cut the umbilical cord. And the dad is super excited, and he gets his baby, and he's, they're like, well, what's, what's the sex? Tell us what's the sex. And the wife can't see because, of course, she's not down there. And he's like, oh, it's a, it's a little girl. It's a little girl. He's super excited, but then all of a sudden he realizes that from her abdomen up towards her chest is not normal. And she has this disease, and I forget the name of, gastro-something disease, where her insides are external, and her abdomen didn't completely close. And so all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, doctors rush in, and this little baby is not breathing any longer, and the doctors rip this baby away from the father and the mother, and instantly their world changes in a second. And I don't know about you guys in this room, but that's how, that's how life is. You know, if, if, if your spouse has walked in and said to you, like, hey, I, I want a divorce, usually you weren't planning to wake up on a Tuesday at 7 p.m. to realize your husband's going to walk in or your spouse is going to walk in and say, it's time to have a divorce. You know, when you, you are fired from a job, nobody wakes up one day, anticipates, you know, hey, today's the day that I'm going to lose all of my income and I've got 10 jobs lined up, so I'm ready. You never, you never anticipate that. And this family didn't anticipate that their daughter was only going to live 35 days. And so this morning was, a, was kind of a wake-up call, a reminder for myself of just how precious life is. And it's a reminder because my wife and I, if any of you guys know our story, our story is exactly the same. Except our son lived one day longer. Our son lived 36 days instead of 35. And so this morning, just the shock of, of reminding, of remembering how precious life is, was, was harsh for me this morning. Uh, it was harsh in so many ways of remembering our son and remembering the pain of seeing the picture of that little baby and swollen and all of that on life support and remembering that was our son. And ours was our firstborn son, so all of our dreams and our hopes, and we didn't know what it was like to be a parent yet. That he was our everything. And to experience that and for things not to go the way that you thought they were going to go. And you're left with all these questions of, God, why? You're left with all these questions of, where were you? How come you didn't come through? How come you came through for all these other people, but for us, you have failed us? And it comes back to those songs that we sing that his love is extravagant, which means it's beyond what we know and what we see. It's beyond what I think it should look like. It's, it's, it's beyond what I can understand and comprehend. And what I realized this morning is I've spent so much of my time, even after my son's life, even after the mantra of, of his life is make his life count. And I've done so much in the 14 years to not make his life count. I was reminded of how I've gotten so focused on life in the here and now. 
so focused on, oh my goodness, I'm in my 40s and I haven't done all of this and I haven't, I haven't done all of that and I should be so much further. And I forget that God the Father is saying, I have all of eternity to spend with you, my son and my daughter. And he's saying, look, this, this, is, this is preparation. This is the training ground for all of eternity. See, when I was a little kid, I grew up with little felt, little, you know, little felt Sunday boards, Sunday school boards, and all of that. And we're going to get to heaven, and everybody's going to have wings, and we're going to ride horses, and we're just going to sing it to Jesus all day long. And that's cute, but we're meant to rule and reign based upon how we live our lives here on earth. And so for my wife and I, we actually have a son up in heaven that is saying, Dad, Mom, run. Run the race. And we have a representation already up there that he's saying, oh, my, if you guys just knew all you sacrificed, all that you've done, it's worth it all. It's worth every moment of what you're doing, what you're walking through. If you could just see the joy for the joy for what Jesus Christ endured the cross, for the joy that was set before him, we were that joy. This is all so momentary. So tonight I just wanted to share just a, just a couple of nuggets that maybe seem random. Maybe they won't. This is a picture right here of Jesus, if you can see this. And he's, he's smiling and he's laughing. This is actually a booklet that the mom, Megan, wrote. And we all got this booklet this morning. And it says here in this caption, it says, Jesus really is in a better mood than we think most times. Think about that. Jesus is actually in a much better mood than we think most times. So if you're anything like me, I view failures and setbacks and things in my life oftentimes through a lens of punishment, often through a lens of I've sinned, often through the lens of God the Father is mad at me, somehow is disappointed at me. But if I could see the perspective of Jesus saying, my son, my daughter, I'm walking along with you in this. I know you're hurting and I know that you're in pain, but I can actually see around the corner two years from now to know the promises that will be fulfilled in your life because you're going to be faithful to walk through the season holding my hand. He, he sees the beautiful invitation in the pain. We just see, if you're like me, the pain and the sorrow. He sees, oh my goodness, my son, you, you're going to be raised up in greater strength. My daughter, raised up in greater power. My son, raised up in greater peace. My daughter, raised up in greater righteousness because of how you walk in this season. And not to mention, like, oh yeah, you, we're not working on the patio in your mansion in heaven because of how you've walked through this season. Our Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're a lot more excited about our life than we anticipate. Jesus is in a much better mood than we think. It says in 1 Peter 1 through 7, these trials show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Let me say that again. Your faith remains strong through many trials. Then it goes on to say it will bring you much praise, much glory, much honor, because Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Whatever setbacks, whatever valleys, whatever you're walking through tonight, know that God is using that to bring much praise, much glory, much honor to his name, to actually reveal his nature through the way that you're walking through your circumstance and your situation. Because people, your neighbors, your co-workers, relatives, they may not understand or know the nature of God. It may actually take how you're walking through your failure or your setback for them to say, something's not normal about you, and what is it? 
Because if you just lost two jobs in a row and you're still following Jesus, man, I would have turned my back on him a long time ago. Now you have an opportunity to talk about a testimony in the middle of your story, a testimony in the middle of your mess. Because you can say, oh, the Father is revealing his glory through my life. Megan writes this. She says, in an instant, two long emergency ambulance rides, four major surgeries, five weeks in intensive care, 76 trips back and forth to the hospital, eight blood transfusions, 34 days of not holding you, 2,000 ounces of breast milk you will never get to have, two days with your sister, 168 replays of I Raise a Hallelujah, you guys know that song, and one hour of you in my arms, and hundreds of lives forever changed, but a vapor. Our lives are it's, it's but a vapor. If you've been blessed to live 55 years, but a vapor. If you've lived 34 years, but a vapor. However long, it's, it's going to go by like that, like that fast. And what, what, are we, what are we doing? What am I doing to bring glory and honor in my life, through my life? So I, it's, it's so much easier when I'm on the mountaintop to shout, great are you, Lord, and worthy, whatever. It's so easy to sing it. But that whole, like, I'll praise you in the storm. Like, who wants to sing? I don't want to sing that. I don't want to raise a hallelujah, uh, right? But, that, but that's where the maturity, that's where all of a sudden we count it all joy. Those are those moments where we count it all joy because we know that eventually it leads to that maturity and eventually it leads to the character that Jesus wants us to have. She talks in here, she says, you have brought me through the biggest transformation of my life. And Megan's talking to their daughter, her name was Talia. You made all distractions fade away until all that was left was a choice. And I want to talk about that. And she says this, a choice to give up or worship. A choice to focus on what was right or what was wrong. A choice to compare or surrender. A choice to partner with darkness and death or light. A choice to partner with love and life. And a choice to either feel my pain or numb it away. And that word choice it struck me that in every situation, every circumstance, everything that we encounter, there's always two roads that we can take. There's always a right and there's always a left. And a lot of times we look at our life and we say, hey, I'm just a product of my circumstances. I'm just a product of my choices. I'm just a product of my situation. I'm just a product of the things that have happened to me. When the reality is, is that, that we have a choice on how we're going to respond. And that all of us are sitting here in these chairs not because of the result of the circumstances and situations have happened to us, but more out of what has been our response to the circumstances and situations. How, what did we choose? And I love how in this little booklet she talks about there's, that we can choose to partner with light or darkness. There's no in-between. There's no like, you know, I think today I'm going to partner with gray. No, no, no. There's a, there's a partnering. There's a unity. There's a oneness with darkness. Along with darkness comes all of the things that the enemy wants us to be connected to. Despair, shame, fear, guilt, lies, anger, slant, all that. Or in the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of whatever your situation is, you could say, no, 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 I choose to partner with light. You could say, I choose to partner with, with fear. False evidence appearing real. Many things in our life right now that we're afraid of that says 90% of them actually will never come to fruition. Never, 90%. But because of our partnering with it, because of like, oh my gosh, I only have $300 in my account. I've got to hold on tight to it. I can't tie this month. And God's like, will you please let go so I can actually give you the $3,000 in the mailbox, but you're too afraid of it. Or we can partner with faith. 
Darkness, light. Fear, faith. It's a choice. And today I think the invitation from the Father is, in whatever circumstance, you may have chosen for 120 days to partner with shame in a situation that you're walking through. Say no to that. Say, you know what, today, today's the day. Not today, Satan, however those bumper stickers go, right? Choose tomorrow. Like, I'm, Man, I'm not going to partner with that any longer. It comes down to a choice, a clear choice. She says, the day the doctors told us that you were dying, Talia, I stood by your bedside holding your hand and head, weeping in despair, calling out for Jesus. Then I felt Jesus standing on the other side of your bed across from me. She says, I, I cried to him, Jesus, I need you, and I don't understand why. Why? Jesus responded quickly and peacefully, because I knew I could trust you to stay faithful through it. You don't know what that means to me. Megan says that Jesus said to her, I trusted you to stay faithful through it all. I knew that you could handle it. And I wonder what, what situations you have walked through in your life that you, you've been thinking, why me, poor me, oh me, oh my. And the perspective of, of Jesus, who's much happier, much cheerful, much more excited because he can see on the other side of eternity is like, I, I chose you because I knew you could handle it and that you would still lift my name up high. I, I chose you because I knew that you would handle it and you wouldn't turn your back on me. I chose you because I knew that in the end, you would still walk with me hand in hand. Even though you had your whys, even though you had your questions, I could still trust you with it. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. There's been many things that I've walked through in my life, and my wife has walked through more than I have. That I haven't been interested in the Jesus answer of because I can trust you. To be honest, I'm like, I wish you didn't trust me. Please, I can't, this is more than I can bear. I can't handle this. But now two years, five years for us and, and our son, now 15 years on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, we actually did make it through. We actually, with your help and your strength, we did bear under that weight. Has it been easy? No. It's been incredibly difficult. Would, if we were te texting back and forth, and Beth's text to me was, I would wish this on no one, no one, because she understands greatly the pain of losing a child. But the lie of the enemy was, you're never going to get through this. Now on the other side, we can look at other people like Ken and Megan today and look them in the eye and say, with God and with community, you will make it through this. Because we're a living testimony of that. And you don't know what you're a living testimony of. So your, your, your why question very well may have Jesus on the other side saying, it's because I can trust you with this situation. I can trust you with this pain. I can trust you with the deep sorrow that you're walking through. She goes on to say, talk about just the unlocking of, of wisdom and revelation and refining, and that there's a pruning in our life that takes place. We, we want the produce, and we want the graduation, but we don't want the pruning. We don't want, right? We don't, we don't want that, that part of it. But it's the pruning that produces more fruit than we can ever imagine because the fruit is what lasts and the fruit is what's eternal. See, the fruit in our life won't be burned up. One day we're all going to stand before the Lord and what we do in this life, it's going to be tested by fire. It's, it's going to be put on an altar and, and only the things that are pure, that with pure motives, pure heart towards him are actually going to last. And that's going to be a scary day. 
when we're standing before the Lord and, and all the things we've built and a lot of things in the name of Jesus, my, myself included, are, are going to be burned up. But it goes back to what I said before of living with this eternal perspective. And I want to challenge us today to start waking up every morning and saying, Holy Spirit, give me eternal eyes to be able to see today. Jesus, give me eyes in which you saw people when you were here on this earth. Father, how do you love people with the love that you, that you talk about in the Word? Give me those eyes to see. Give me eyes to see eternity. Because all of a sudden, that person who's the pain in the rear end at your job, and you start looking at them as an eternal being, you maybe aren't going to care as much as they keep stealing your stapler when you're thinking about, oh, man, they might burn in hell. Well, okay, it's just a stapler, right? You're going to start thinking a whole lot more about how we represent eternity here on this earth. And guys, if you weren't here today because of the snow, this would be a great message just for Torrance to preach to himself. And I'm, I'm number one, probably the number one worst person at this, but I want to live differently. I want to. You know, and if I knew, if I knew in the famous words of Tim McGraw, uh, I was sky flying, I was Rocky Mountain, did you guys know that song? I wrote 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Right? Okay. Well, it's the whole, like, live like you were dying. You know, and I challenged a group of kids. I was speaking at a school, and I challenged a group of kids. I'm like, you know what? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, would you really say that about that young lady? Would you really put that on, on Instagram? Would you really dog that kid out in the cafeteria? Would you really cuss your mom out behind her back, drop the middle? No, you would not. You'd want to love the people that are closest to you greatly. You would want to do things differently. And it's the same way for us. So I challenge all of us to wake up with a different eternal perspective saying, God, give me your eyes to see. Jesus, give me your eyes to see. Holy Spirit, give me your eyes to see. In order to walk into the challenges and the things that we're walking into, we can't, we can't carry it alone. And that's that beautiful invitation of that picture of Jesus, right? I, I think in, in some kind of crazy way, he enjoys carrying our burdens, right? He, he enjoys walking alongside of us. And it's part of the time, I'm like, Jesus, you're crazy. Like, how do you like this? He's like, oh, I just love you so much. This is awesome. I really think he feels that way. And it says in the Bible that we're to cast all of our cares upon him because he, he cares for us, right? Cast all of your anxiety upon him. And so when this morning when I was actually imagining uh, that scripture, he gave me this ridiculous picture of me and him. And I was in my current backyard. Jesus is sitting on the other side of our fence, so he's on one side, and I'm on the other side, and he's got this big old baseball glove, and he's sitting in a catcher's stance, and he's like, come on, throw him at me, cast it, throw it, throw it, and he's super excited, and I'm like, I got all this like big old carrot, it's like in the shape of this huge baseball, and I just kept throwing baseballs, I kept throwing bigger ones, and he, like a couple times he like fell over and started laughing, he's like, give me another one. But that's what it means to cast. It actually means to throw off. And so when we talk about, talk about living with an eternal perspective, I understand there are things that are weighing us down, but we have one that is closer than a brother, that sticks closer to us than a, than a friend. And he commands us. He, he literally says, I want you to throw off all of your fear, all of your worry, all of your shame, all of your concern, all of, just throw, throw it upon me. Because much easier to see when we're not blind with the cares of this world. Then we, then we go and we say, okay, Jesus, I know you're holding it. I got to still do something about this. He's like, I know, I know. So let's talk about it. Then you both are talking about it together versus you're so worried and you're trying to carry it by yourself. But Jesus says, oh, let's talk about it together. You're like, oh, I never thought about that solution. 
That's what he wants us to do, cast all of our cares upon him. She talks in here about atmosphere and that wherever we go, uh, we're always setting a tone. We're always setting uh, atmosphere. And that atmosphere can be one of fear and it can be one of faith. Anybody ever walk into a, a room with someone and someone's there and you can just kind of feel something? You can feel something on that person. You can kind of feel, sometimes you feel excited because you're like, oh, they got a cool personality. I'd love to know. Sometimes you're like, that person's creeping me out. Anybody, right? Yeah, it's because we're actually, with our thoughts, with our beings, with the way that we are, we, we set atmosphere. And she talks a lot of times about that we can create an atmosphere of fear or faith, and that's based upon what we believe. That's based upon what we ingest. That's based upon what we, what we think. Because it's out of our thinking, our actions, it's out of our thinking that we move and that we live and that we have our, our being. So we can choose to have an atmosphere. But too many of us, myself included, I'm, I'm really great at being a thermometer. So I can walk in a room and I can tell you like, hey, it's, it feels, woo, really scary in here or fearful or that there's a lot of people freaking out or whatever. It's 82 degrees. But God's calling us to be thermostats. So a thermostat is a lot different than a thermometer because a thermostat actually sets the temperature in the room. But if I'm so focused upon me and my own shame and my own junk, then I'm not setting the right atmosphere. I'm not setting the right tone. But if I'm focused on who he is and who he wants me to be, and I'm loving as the Father loves, and I'm setting a tone by representing him, then all of a sudden I become a thermostat and I change the room. And the Jesus is in me that is greater than anything that is in the world or anything that is in that room. All of a sudden it sets the tone. But it comes back to our choices and what we choose to partner with. Do we choose to partner with fear, darkness, or light, and faith? It comes down to what do we choose to partner with. So setting atmosphere is incredibly important. There's death and there's life and there's energy and fear and judgment. Fear and judgment destroys anything that comes into our atmosphere. But there's energy of love and of surrender. And that energy heals anything that comes into its atmosphere. It pulls everything and everyone around it. An atmosphere of healing. They did a study, Ikea did this study four, uh, four or five years ago in a school over in, in Europe. And um, I don't forget what, what country it was. Uh, but it was a middle school. And they wanted, to, they wanted to take a study and look at the power of words. And words have power. Words set tone. Words set atmosphere. Does anybody, anybody know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. Okay. Words have power. They set tone. They set atmosphere. And so with these kids, they wanted to do this experiment, and they did it over 30 days. They bought two plants. Okay. Both plants were identical. I don't know if they were ferns or whatever, but they were green plants where you could actually, they had leaves, and they were beautiful, and blah, blah, blah. So just your normal household plants, probably about three feet high. They placed them in the lobby of the school. So one over here, one plant over there. This sign on this plant said, speak nice words to me. Speak loving words to me. Speak kind words to me. This plant over here said, speak ugly words to me. Speak mean words. Speak evil to me. They did an assembly with the kids, and they talked about the power of words. They said, for 30 days, we're going to do this experiment. They talked about the plants. It's going to be clear. There's one plant that we want you to speak well of, speak nice to, positive things, kind words. Then it's going to be pretty obvious. We want you to walk over to another plant. And then, you know, speak something evil, something ugly, something nasty. For 30 days, they did this. They fed the plants the exact same amount of food. They watered them the same. They had the amount of same sunlight. Everything else was the same except for which words were spoken over them. After 30 days, plant A, vibrant, growing, had grown beyond its three feet. Plant B, dying, almost dead in 30 days. Not because of a lack of water, not because of a lack of food, not because of a lack of sunlight but instead because of the words that were spoken over it. 
And so in the same way, we set tone, we set atmosphere by our words, by what we think. But here's the catch, is you can't speak, you can't say something you don't first believe about yourself. So I can't come up to you, tell me your name again. Ed. Ed, Jesus loves you so much, man. You are a warrior of Christ. Man, he's just called you to be an incredible leader in your home, at work. And man, brother, I believe that there's no shame on you in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's no condemnation. And then me walk away and be like, man, I'm just a piece of crap. I'm the worst. Like, it doesn't work like that. So I have to believe that about myself. I've got to set the right tone and atmosphere in my own spirit in order to, re- in order to release that. And so there's energy and fear and judgment. There's energy and life and love. God's called us to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Here's a really great point that she brought up, and it comes off of Isaiah 55, 11. It says, my word shall not return void, but it will accomplish all that it was sent forth to do. Whether you see it doing anything in the physical realm or not, God's word is creating something in the spiritual realm. I want to pause on this, is that a lot of times we don't know what to say in the moments, right? We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say to someone. That's when we go to God's word. And we start reading scriptures over ourselves. We start memorizing scripture because there's power in the word. It says this in Isaiah 55, 11, that his, re- his word will never return void. But the problem, if you're anything like me, is I don't see it making a change in the physical here and now. So I stop. I usually stop probably before the breakthrough. I usually stop before the promise. I usually stop before probably the fulfillment. And if I would just say, hey, I may not see something here on earth, but man, it's changing the realm in heaven then my focus isn't so focused on what's happening here. And stuff is going to change here, and no doubt there's going to be fruit that will carry forth there. But I'm more concerned about eternity and what's, what's happening there and what's happening in the kingdom. So thinking about that, that there's power in the word, and that God's word, when it's released, can change every circumstance and every situation. And it's really about staying faithful in the little things, right? Staying faithful in his word. So we don't read the word out of religious duty. We don't read the word because somehow we're going to get a little cookie at the end and we can check off a box. No, we read the word because it changes us. It talks about that the word is a double-edged sword, right? It changes. There's power. There's life. There's life in the word, and we got to stay in it. You guys okay? I said this before, but just a a reminder that we're we're training for uh, eternity. Every situation that we encounter, it's really a training ground for that. And congratulations to every one of you guys in here, because how many of you have overcome anything in your life? Anybody? (laughs) Okay. Oh, surprise, surprise. Everybody. (laughs) Great job. You passed phase one or two or 22 or 33 of Navy SEAL training, kingdom training, eternity training. There's more tests coming. But the training is getting you somewhere. You're going to be queens and kings. You're going to be princesses and princes. You're going to be ruling, ruling with the Father, ruling with Jesus, ruling with Holy Spirit and heaven. It's all, it's all training, and that changes our perspective. Here's something that she said that I loved is that, that we're warriors and that we're not a victim. The little girl's name was Talia, and um, they called her a uh, little warrior, and that's what we called our son too. Um, when you have a kid like ours, like Talia, that goes through, our, our son went through, um, what is it, over seven open heart surgeries? Was it about seven? Four? Okay. All right, let's get, get that number higher and higher. Um, four and, and 35 days in the hospital. You, you see how strong 
uh, a child is. And our son crashed many times. There were several times a flat line. They had to take the paddles out. And, and you just see this inner, this inner strength of, of a child and how we were all born, we were all created from our mother's womb, before our mother's womb with that strength to be warriors. That's in our, that's in our DNA. That's, that's who we're meant to be. But when we partner with things lesser than who we are called to be, then we won't see that warrior mindset or that warrior mentality or that warrior victory in our life. But that's who we are. And Ken talked about how even though her abdomen was open and, and they couldn't have visitors because of the germs and the disease and all that that we carry, um, they got, one time they got to bring their, their older daughter, the two-year-old, in there. And how the little girl, the little two-year-old, held you know, her little sister's hand, Talia's little hand, and, and was holding it and talking to her, and then she let go. And it was the only time ever that Talia ever lifted up her arm was to reach back out and grab her sister's finger again. And the doctors were blown away. They're like, we've never seen a child in her situation or circumstance be able to do that. But that's, that's who we are. And so I wonder tonight in your situation or what you're sitting in that the father is actually saying you're a lot stronger than you know. You're a lot more of a warrior than you've ever realized. And if you will just reach out and take my finger, I promise you, I promise you that we're going to get through this. I promise you that there's another there's another side to your circumstance or your situation. And he's just saying, reach out and take my hand. You know, what we focus on, what we set our minds on, and what we set our attention on becomes probably one of the most powerful forces. And truthfully, what we focus on becomes our, our reality. We, we, we can create realities based upon what we think on, based upon what we focus our eyes on. That old song, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim, right? How powerful. I mean, that's an old song that we don't sing anymore, but just literally just that, those two lines I just said, is, is that's what it's about, is continuing to fix your gaze, your eye, your attention, your everything upon Jesus. Because that changes the way we see things. It changes the way that we walk through things. It changes how we walk through and who we walk through them with. Focusing our time and our attention upon him. You know, a trusting in God uh, supersedes all circumstance. And uh, to be honest with you, this is one that I struggled with today. Um, it, was a, it was a battle. I don't know if you guys ever sit with the Lord and you have these conversations where you're, <laughs> you're like, yes, Lord, but. You know, I felt like I was a little bit of a defense attorney. And he's sitting on the other side and we're making arguments for the cases. And... You know, we were talking and they were discussing today that there's, there's facts. There's facts in life, but that God's truth supersedes those facts. The reality of who God is trumps the reality of the world that we see and in the world that we live in. And to be honest with you guys, I was sitting there saying, yeah, but that's not always true. And I started asking my whys. Um... Yeah, not everybody's kid lives. Um, you know, I was talking about this with Beth this afternoon and just saying, you know, like, those who do everything right, you still can lose your kid. And then if you're like me, you do about everything wrong and you still lose your child. Like, and that's where the father is like, but there's a greater reality beyond this earth. There's a greater reality that you don't see. 
And as you start to trust me and have greater faith in me, you're actually going to see more of that reality. But it's going to require radical like trust and radical belief than ever before. Because I'm so, I want to control everything that if I have answers, I feel okay, right? I, I feel better if I know the why. I feel better if I know, well, this makes sense. And for us, part of my tailspin in life was with our son. It, everything made sense, just like our friends today, Ken and Megan. And they gave glory and honor to God and, and praise to him. And I, and I agree with all of that. And I, that, I was that dad. I got up and gave the speech about our son and, and how, many, how many souls came to the Lord because of his life. And there was a lot of people that came to Jesus because of our son, because of his story. But we found out two months later that the doctors actually had made a mistake, and that's what contributed large in part to our son's death. So all of a sudden, God, you're sovereign, and you're, it, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're sovereign, then why didn't your truth supersede the mistake of the doctors? But when I get my eyes back on eternity, I get my eyes back on, wait a minute, our son and Talia are living forever and ever and ever and ever. And, and we are too. We're living forever and ever. And I have no idea of what Trace's interactions are with right now with the father. I have no idea. But what if for one second I could actually imagine that my son, like, is in the presence, <laughs> in the presence right now. Just, like, like, you know how we feel with the Holy Spirit and we, we're in his presence? Like, he's, like, there. And now it's like, oh, I'm not sorry for myself. I'm excited that he's, like, before the Father. And I want to live like that. I want my eyes to get off of me and my circumstances and my situations. And I want to live with this excitement that I know my son and I know Talia, like they're living with. They're living like in the presence of God. They're living with this, Mom and Dad, I can't wait for you to get here. This is so ridiculous, heaven. And it just changes everything when we live with that kind of perspective. Almost done. I said this a little bit earlier, but I'll reread this. If plants were not pruned, they would not grow as big and beautiful as they could be. If gold were not refined, it would not be as pure. It would not be as wanted, valuable, beautiful, or sought after. You are being pruned so you are able to grow beautiful and strong and produce more fruit than you can imagine. You are being refined so your impurities, weaknesses, and struggles will burn away, no longer blocking the value that is inside of you. Being burned is painful. Being cut back hurts. And it looks like you lost what you have worked so hard to grow. But it's the best thing that can happen to you. It's what leads to the more. It's what leads to the better. It's what leads to the beautiful and the eternal. What we cannot see, guys, will we believe even though we cannot yet see? Will we continue to praise even though everything says not to praise? Will we continue to embrace God's truth even when the facts are, are different? You know, we, we see the stories all the time in, in the Bible. And um, when the four friends had a friend that was lame, 
and Jesus was preaching in, I think it was Peter's house or someone's house, and um, they, they loved their friend enough to rip through the thatch roof. Anybody know that, that Sunday school story? They rip through the roof, and Jesus is going off preaching, and all of a sudden you can imagine like hay falling down on Jesus' head, and he's like, well, what's going on? And they lower him down, and Jesus stops doing everything that he's doing, and he's preaching the good word, and if it was any American pastors, we'd probably be like, man, take them to the back, wait till I'm done preaching, right? And Jesus stops and, and heals them. Those four holding each corner of that mat, they held on to God's truth above the facts. If that gentleman was 37 years old or he was 45 years old, he no doubt had a doctors and people that told him for many, many years, you're never going to walk. You might as well pick up this trade doing something with your hands because you'll never walk. But he had four friends that said, no, we're going to hold on to God's truth above the facts. If Moses looked at that Red Sea as the Egyptians are coming on his tail and said, wait, the facts are the Red Sea is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles wide and probably hundreds of miles deep. That's fact. I can touch it. That's fact. But God said he's going to deliver his people. That's God's truth over facts. We can go on and on and on and talk about story after story. But tonight, I want us to start believing for God's truth over the facts. And in order to do that, you have to have community. Because there's going to be many, many times that God's truth versus the facts of your life is going to seem like the craziest thing ever. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel isolated. And that's where the enemy loves to start picking you off. You're crazy to believe that word. Take the thing off of your mirror. Why do you keep praying that same prayer for your daughter? Why do you keep saying the same prayer for your husband? You're crazy. That's when you need to get back into the small group and say, all right, guys, I'm going to be honest. Right now I'm dealing with this. I am believing for God's truth, but my facts say this. Then three or four other brothers can say, hey, this week we're going to pray for you. We're going to stand by you. So God's truth over facts. The other thing I want us to commit to is praising God in all circumstances and situations. Um, this week, Beth and I watched a video by Graham Cook that talked about that our circumstances, our situations, it doesn't dictate our joy. Our joy is based upon his character and his nature and who he is, not based upon what we see and what's around us. And if that's the case, then there should always be praise upon our lips. If that's the case, there should always be a new song to the Lord. Because it's not like I'm singing to you because my job is so great. I'm singing to you because... Uh, my husband is treating me so well. It's, no, no, I'm, I'm praising you because you're worthy. I'm praising you because of who you are. I'm praising you because of your nature and your goodness. And then what's happening is all of a sudden our posture, all of a sudden the atmosphere of our heart and our spirit changes, and then our situations start to change because we start to impact them. And so commit to that, to praising in the midst of all our circumstances and situations. And the last thing is this, is that will you commit to praying? that God would give you, and I'm going to do this, an eternal perspective, eternal eyes to see the way the Father does, eternal eyes to see the way that Jesus, the Son, and eternal eyes to see that the way the Holy Spirit sees. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are, you are the fruit of the Spirit. You're loving, you're kind, you're gentle, you're full of self-control, you're patient, you're faithful. Your patience with us is so incredible, along with your extravagant love. Thank you that you continue to reveal your heart to us. You continue to reveal your goodness. God, I ask for greater glimpses of eternity for each and every person that is sitting here that calls this church their home. 
God, I pray that you would start elevating our thinking, elevating our attitude, elevating our posture by immersing ourselves in your word. So much so that your truth and what you say about circumstances or situations or our life or how we see ourselves trumps facts. God, I pray that you would start to reveal in such a greater way your nature and your who you are, that we would praise you, that we would raise a hallelujah in any circumstance in the presence of our enemies. And as a result, raising a hallelujah that the darkness in our life would, would flee. Lord, I pray that you would give us incredible eternal eyes to see your heart for us and to see that this is just a blip on the radar of our eternal lives. God, I pray you would increase community, increase relationship, increase openness, that the faith level of this church would continue to rise. God, we thank you for the incredible examples of Trace and Talia. Lord, we thank you that they are dancing before you. They are in your presence even now. We thank you, Lord, that they join all of the witnesses we talked about a month or so ago, and they're cheering us all on in our race. But God, we thank you that our race does not end here on this earth, but that it continues on and on, that one day, we will rule with you in heaven as kings and queens, but until then, we ask that we will rule and reign here on earth, representing your heart, representing your glory and your power, for your honor, for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.